Well, today is Easter, and I want to uh, think about Easter by looking at the Old Testament story, the famous Old Testament story of, of God parting the Red Sea for the people of Israel. You know, the story where God, where Moses puts his staff in the Red Sea and it parts the Red Sea, and the people of Israel walk through uh, uh, that, that sea on dry ground. We're going to look at that famous Old Testament story. But some of you are thinking, wait a minute, that's the wrong story. Today is Easter, isn't it? Isn't there another story we should be looking at? You know, a story that says something about an empty tomb? Uh, I'm glad we're looking at that old story, but, aren't, but isn't that the wrong one? What in the world does the Red Sea have to do with the empty tomb? Well, it has a lot to do with the empty tomb. And in fact, for centuries, artists and thinkers and writers and philosophers have seen a connection between the Red Sea and the resurrection. And so, for example, there's one artist, his name is Marc Chagall, and uh, he's an early uh, 20th century uh, artist, and uh, he, uh, very, very famous, and this painting is very, very famous, and it's called The Exodus. He's a Jewish painter, and, uh, and, and in, this, uh, in this painting depicted are the children of Israel, and they're, they're walking down the middle of the Red Sea. The Red Sea is parted, but what do you see right in the middle of that painting? You see Jesus there. And this, oh, this Jewish painter is, is making the statement. He's saying, he's saying there's a connection between the Red Sea and the resurrection. The Red Sea tells us something really important about Jesus. So Mark Chagall saw that, and thinkers have seen this for centuries. But what I want you to see this morning is that the New Testament writers, all the way through the New Testament writers, we see that uh, the, the early Christians we're constantly seeing connections between what Jesus did and the Red Sea. And so, for example, uh, Matthew chapter 2, uh, Jesus, it says of Jesus, out of Egypt I have called my son. This is a quote from Hosea speaking of the Exodus. And here Matthew is saying there's a connection between what Jesus is doing and what God did in the Exodus story. Uh, one time Jesus on, was on top of a mountain, we Christians call it the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's speaking to Moses and Elijah, Jesus is. And what is he speaking to them about? It says that he is speaking to them about his exodus, which he would undergo in Jerusalem. And so Jesus there is making a connection between the parting of the Red Sea, the liberation of God's people, and what he would do on the cross. And then the night before Jesus was crucified, uh, Jesus sat with his disciples and he celebrated the Last Supper. And what is the Last Supper? It's a Passover meal. And what is the Passover meal? It's a meal where they celebrated what God did in the Exodus. And so Jesus there is making a connection between what God did by parting the Red Sea and what he was about to do in dying and, and, and rising from the dead. There's a connection there's always a connection between the Red Sea and the resurrection. The two mutually inform one another. And so what does the Red Sea tell us about the resurrection? What does the Red Sea uh, tell us? That, what is God doing in the resurrection? And how does the, the, the Red Sea inform us about that? Well, what the, what the Red Sea and the Exodus tell us about the resurrection is that just as God was liberating slaves in Egypt through the Red Sea, in the resurrection, Jesus Christ was liberating us. Just as that old story is about freed slaves, the resurrection is all about freedom. Now, Easter is about a lot of things. It's about lilies and dresses and family and food. But at the bottom, the resurrection is about your freedom. And that's what the Exodus story is there to tell us. Now, if you're a parent, you know, you know about this idea of freedom because you've seen the movie Frozen. 
And you remember in the movie Frozen, uh, Princess Elsa, what does she want to do? She wants to let it go. And I apologize to all you parents who spent three or four years trying to get that song out of your mind, right? And there's a lot of things that are wrong about that song, aren't there? I mean, you think about your little five-year-old singing it, you know? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Sounds like a threat, doesn't it? It's terrifying. But there's one very important thing about that song. It speaks to something very deep about us. We as human beings need freedom. We as human beings need to be free to be who God's called us to be. And what the resurrection tells us and what what the old Exodus story is there to point out about the resurrection is that just as God was freeing slaves in the Old Testament through the Red Sea, Jesus Christ is freeing us in the resurrection. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to look at this old story and I want to to ask the question, how does this story point to the resurrection? What does this tell us? What does this old story of freedom tell us about the freedom Jesus gives us by rising from the dead? And I think it tells us four things about our freedom. This old story points to four things that Jesus does in setting us free. It points to three things that, that Jesus frees us from And one thing that Jesus frees us for. Okay, it tells us four things about our freedom, three things that we are freed from, and one thing that we are freed for. Sometimes I can preach a sermon with four points instead of three. And so the first thing we learn is that the resurrection, this points to the fact that the resurrection frees us from sin. Now in this story, what are they freed from? What what are the people of Israel freed from there on this side of the Red Sea? Well, they're freed from Pharaoh. They're freed from slavery, right? They've been in bondage for 400 years and God frees them, God liberates them through parting the Red Sea. And it's important to recognize that bare fact that God is a God who is against physical slavery. God is a God of liberation. God is a God who is against the dehumanization that happens when one human being owns another. God is a God of liberation. And the Bible should never be used to justify slavery. I mean, look at the Exodus. This story tells us, if nothing else, that the God of the Bible is absolutely against slavery. And we ought to be against it too. And there are more slaves in the world today than there ever have been, right? So this is basically a story about uh, liberation from physical slavery, but but it's about something much deeper than that. The people of Israel were, were slaves, they were physical slaves, political and economic slaves, and God freed them. But once they were on the other side of the Red Sea, they were still slaves in a sense. There was something deeper in their lives that they were slaves to, right? They were freed from their physical slavery and their bondage, but they were still complaining all the time. They were freed from their bondage, but they still were angry and cruel to one another. They were freed from, from Egypt and yet there was still sort of an in Egypt inside of them. And what does this tell us? It tells us there's something deeper than physical slavery. There's something more insidious and dangerous than physical slavery. It's spiritual slavery. And what the scripture says is that human beings, here's our condition, we are captive to something called sin. In the Bible, a sin is not just something that you choose. It's not just something that you do. It is something that you're in. In the Bible, sin is a dominion. Sin is like being under the bondage of Pharaoh. Sin is something that chases you down and says, serve me or die. 
right? Sin is something that holds us in bondage. It's not just something that we do or choose to do. Sin is a power that we're under. Now, some of you are like, no, I don't think that. I am free. I'm free to do whatever I want. But there are, there are other people here that know very deeply that sin is a power. There are many of us in this room here today that are, are doing things that we don't want to do and we desperately want to stop, but we can't. Right, you hate it, you hate the fact that you do it, you desperately want to stop, but you can't. Right, there are many of us who, we want to forgive, and maybe we've been hurt by, by people in our past, and we want to forgive, and we don't want to be bitter anymore, but, and we're trying to let it go, but we can't. There are many of us who are addicted. We're addicted to alcohol, or sex, or drugs, or money, greed, and we desperately don't want to be like that. We desperately want to stop, but we can't. There's some of us that are angry. We're compulsively angry. And we, we're always, words are flying like weapons, and we're mad all the time. And, and we desperately want to let that go. We want to let the anger go, but we can't. And I think that almost all of us in this room can acknowledge that, that sin is a power. That there are things in our lives that we don't want to do that we keep on doing because sin is a dominion, sin is a power. Sin is like the Pharaoh. There's a deeper slavery that this, that this story points to. W.G.T. Uh, uh, Shedd is an old theologian and he talks about sin this way. Sin is the suicidal action of the human will against itself. Sin is slavery. When you do a sin, it makes it much easier to do it again and much harder to resist. Every time you sin, you're destroying your ability to resist it until you become a slave. We compulsively do things that contradict our integrity. We compulsively hurt others and hurt ourselves. We do things that we don't want to do. Sin is slavery. Sin is like the Pharaoh. But just like the people of Israel were liberated from slavery, what the resurrection tells us is that when Jesus rose from the dead, the power of sin was broken. Romans 6 puts it this way. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for one who has died has been set free from sin. This is what the resurrection means. It means that those generational patterns, those generational behaviors that are passed down to you by your parents and your parents' parents, those things that you de desperately want to stop but you can't, the resurrection says that the power of those sins are broken. You are liberated. You are set free from the old self, the Bible says, the false self, the self that wants to destroy you. And you are liberated not to sin anymore. You are freed from the power of sin. And this is why there are these old hymns that say things like this. Long, long, imp long my imprisoned spirit lie. Fast bound in sin in nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The resurrection means that the chains fall off and that you are not imprisoned to your past anymore and that you could move forward. The resurrection says you are free to live out the noblest purpose for your life. You are free to live. Now my son has a little, uh, uh, all my sons have the same little t-shirt that was given to them by their grandmother on the 4th of July. 
red, white, and blue. And on the front of the shirt, it says, free to be. So cute. It says, free to be. And sometimes I wish they weren't so free to be because they get crazy sometimes. But whenever I see the shirt, it reminds me of the resurrection because in the resurrection, what Jesus did is he breaks the power of sin and now you are free to be the person God has created you to be. You are free to live out the noblest purpose for your life. You can live with all of your capacities firing on all cylinders. You can live with a sense that you are doing what you were made to be and do. You know, you think about a fish. When a fish is taken out of the water, it is not free. It's free, it's out of the limits of the water, but it's not free. It flops around and it's gonna die, but you put that fish into the water again and all of its energy returns. It darts away like lightning. In the water, all its capacities are engaged. And this is how you were meant to live, free from sin, free to pursue the noblest purposes in your life, free to be the person God has created you to be. You are no longer imprisoned to your past. You can move forward because Jesus rose from the dead. And so this story tells us, number one, we are freed from Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of sin. And we are free to live to be the people God's created us to be. Secondly, it says we're freed from something else. What else does the story point to? It points to the fact that, but that in the resurrection, we are freed from the slavery of death. When Jesus rose from the dead, we are then free at that moment from death. Now you look at this story. Uh, the people in this story were facing certain death, right? Uh, they had the Red Sea on one side. And then on the other side, there was the Pharaoh who was chasing them down. And they were facing certain death there. And they knew it because when the Pharaoh pursued, they looked at Moses and they said, did you bring us out here to die? We're gonna die, we're all gonna die. And they were right. They were shut in, they had nowhere to go until Moses stuck his rod in the Red Sea and the sea parted and they literally passed from certain death to life on the other side. They were freed from certain death that, that day. But here's the deal. Although they were freed from death with a small d, they were not free from death with a capital D. Right? All of these Israelites, they would die eventually. They were freed on that day. They weren't going to die on that side of the Red Sea, but they would die. They would die in the wilderness or they would die by Mount Sinai. Eventually they would die. But what Jesus does in the resurrection is he frees us from death with a capital D. Jesus Christ, when he rose again from the dead, he not only broke the power of sin, but he broke the power of death. And death is a problem. It's always been a problem. It's the problem of the ages. Right? We want to live. Love was meant to last. Beauty was meant to be forever. When you do something good, it's meant to count, right? And death is unnatural. Death is not right. I don't care what the Lion King says. Right, the circle of life. It says, oh, death, it's so natural, it's so normal. Right, you die, you live, and then you die, and you become fertilizer, and for all the other ant an animals to feed on, and then, and then they become fertilizer, fertilizer, fertilizer. Isn't that beautiful? No, it's not. Death is unnatural. There's a philosopher, his name is Luke Ferry, and uh, he's a French philosopher, and he talks a lot about um, philosophy, which I guess that's good for a philosopher, right? <laughs> and he talks about death as being a big problem, the main problem that all philosophers have been trying to solve throughout the ages. 
And he says this, a human being is the only creature who is aware of his limits. He knows that he will die and that his near ones, those he loves, will also die. Consequently, he cannot prevent himself from thinking about this state of affairs, which is disturbing and absurd and almost unimaginable. And he says, here's the problem that all the philosophers have been trying to solve. How can we be saved from death? Or at least from the anxiety of death. Death is a problem. Steve Jobs, uh, the, the, the CEO of Apple who had a pancreatic cancer, uh, passed away recently, uh, Walter Isaacson wrote a biography about him. And there's one point in the bi biography where Steve Jobs begins to reflect upon death. And Walter Isaacson, they're sitting in his garden, in Steve Jobs' garden, and one day he asks him if he believes in God. Steve Jobs, do you believe in God? And this is how he responded. He said, sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. It's 50-50, but I find myself believing a bit more. Maybe that's because I, I want to believe in an afterlife. And when you die, it doesn't just all disappear. The wisdom you've accumulated, somehow it just lives on. But then he paused for a second and he said, yeah, but sometimes I think it's like an on-off switch. He continued, it turns, on, it turns off and you're done. And then he paused again and he said, and that's why I didn't put on-off switches on Apple devices. We don't want there to be an off button. Beauty is meant to last. Love was meant to last. When you do something good, you want it to count. You want it to count forever. And the resurrection says you are free from the slavery of death. Death is not the end. Jesus Christ conquers death in the resurrection. And what this means is that although you are going to die, we all will die unless Jesus Christ returns during our lifetime, but although we will all die because of the resurrection, we will live again. And when you receive Jesus, when you live into the resurrection, you live into a life that starts now and goes on forever. Death is not the end. We are freed from this great problem of death. A Christian passes through, in the resurrection, they pass from death to life, resurrection, life forever. We are freed from the dominion, the age-old problem of death. So we're freed from sin, we're freed from death. What else are we freed from? We're freed from fear. Freed from fear. The resurrection frees us from fear, doesn't it? Now you think about this old story. One thing that is absolutely clear in, the, in, the, in this narrative is that the people of Israel are afraid. You'd be afraid too if Pharaoh was on one side and the Red Sea is on the other and you're facing certain death. They're terrified. It says over and over again, they're afraid. They're afraid. And when Moses opens up the Red Sea and they go through on dry ground, they are freed from their slavery to this fear. God makes a way where there, was no, where there was no way. God parted creation for them. And as they passed through the Red Sea, they were freed from that fear. And what Jesus does in the resurrection is far greater than that. He free, frees us from the fear that we deal with on a daily basis. And there are many of us that deal with fear on a daily basis. You wake up in the morning afraid. And what do you fear? You fear, you fear the future. Now, what's going to happen to me? Where am I, where's my life going? You fear failure. What if I don't make it? What if I fail? What if I lose everything? 
You fear for your family. You fear maybe illness. There are all sorts of things that we live in fear of. And there are many of us that are slaves to fear. And the resurrection liberates us from the fear that keeps us in bondage. It says you do not have to live in fear anymore. One of my favorite movies is uh, the movie What About Bob? Anybody with me on that one? Uh, Richard Dreyfuss in his best role. Uh, and it's this, this, this story about this, uh, this poor guy who's just living in compulsive fear. And there's one scene, it's the best scene in the movie, where uh, he, he's sitting in, in Richard Dreyfuss's office and uh, Richard Dreyfus says, you know, could you tell me about your problems? Tell me what's wrong with you. And so this is what he says. He says, the simplest way to put it, I have problems. I worry about diseases, so I have trouble touching things. I have a big problem moving. Talk about moving, Richard Dreyfus says. As long as I'm in my apartment, I'm okay. But when I want to go out, I get weird. Well, tell me about weird, Richard Dreyfus says. And he says, well, I get dizzy spells, nausea, cold sweats, hot sweats, fever blisters, difficulty breathing, difficulty swallowing, blurred vision, involuntary trembling, dead hands, numb lips, fingernail sensitivity, <laughs> pelvic discomfort. And so Richard Dreyfus looks at him and he says, so the question is, the real question is, what is the crisis? What is it that you are truly afraid of? And that's a good question. What is it that you are truly afraid of? Here's what the resurrection says. Your greatest enemy, the thing that threatens your life the most, has been defeated by Jesus. And everything else is flea bites in comparison. The resurrection frees you from fear. It frees you to live a life of courage. It frees you to live a life of bold, boldness. It frees you to live into a life where you are free to be the person God has created you to be because you're not afraid anymore. Jesus Christ has defe defeated your greatest enemy. And the message of the resurrection is live like that is true. And somebody's phone is ringing. <laughs> Live like that's true. In the resurrection, we are freed from fear. Jesus Christ has defeated death and the fear that's involved in death. And what that means is that we are free to live. So these are the three things we are freed from. We are freed from sin. We are freed from, I can remember, we are freed from death. You are freed from fear. You're free from fear. You don't have to live in fear anymore. What are we freed for? Because there, are, there is one thing that this story tells us we are freed for, and what is it? We are freed for worship. Jesus Christ hasn't just liberated you from things, from sin and from fear and from bondage. You are freed for something. You are freed to live a certain sort of life. In the story, uh, remember when Charlton Heston or Moses, or who was it? I don't know who it was. He goes to Pharaoh, and what does he say? He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh lets the people of Israel go. That's only half right. That movie's only half right. Because what did Moses really say? He came to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go 
so that they may worship me in the desert. They are freed for something. The people of Israel are freed to worship God. And that's exactly what they do on the other side of the Red Sea. When, they, when, the, when the waters open up and when they pass through on dry ground, what is the first thing they do? They do something they haven't done in 400 years. They sing a song. It's like they're pulled out of themselves. And they're no longer focused on their slavery and their sin and their captivity. They're pulled out of themselves and they're free after 400 years to sing a song. And what is it? It's a redemption song. It's not a song about them. It's not a song about them because it can't be. They didn't do anything to liberate themselves. Remember on the other side of the Red Sea, uh, they're like, what do we do? What do we do? And what does Moses say? He says, fear not, stand still, and watch. And God says, I will fight for you. And so God rolls up his sleeves and he parts the Red Sea and they're walking through that sea on dry ground. They don't do anything. All they do is believe. And many of them, they had really weak faith. I imagine some of them, they walk through, you know, saying, Egypt, eat your heart out, right? And, you know, they had some faith there. But others, I bet they were just walking through and looking at the water saying, we're all gonna die, we're gonna die, we're gonna die, we're gonna die! Freaking out. And yet they all made it safely on the other side. And what did they do? Not one ounce of their freedom could they attribute to their own effort. God did absolutely everything. This is the the unique thing about Christianity, by the way. Every other religion says if you want liberation, you have to obey these commandments or you need to follow this path or you need to work this way into enlightenment. Only Christianity says you do nothing. God does everything for you. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will fight for you this day. And in the resurrection, Jesus Christ was fighting for us. In the resurrection, Jesus Christ rolls up his sleeves. He punches a hole in death and comes out on the other side. And he says, oh, follow me. Follow me here. You don't have to do anything, only believe. And when you experience Jesus Christ as your redeemer, as your liberator, when he's not just some distant God somewhere out there, but he is your liberator, the one who does every single thing to rescue you, you are someone who worships. And you are freed in the resurrection to live a life of worship. You were created for that. You were not created to sing a song all about yourself. You were created to be pulled out of yourself to live a life of song and dance and freedom where you are worshiping your creator. This story tells us something about the resurrection. You are freed from sin. You are freed from death. You are freed from fear. And you are freed for worship. And so here's the question that the story is begging us to ask. Are you free today? Have you passed from death to life? Have you gone through the Red Sea and are you on the other side? Are you free today? The good news of Easter is freedom. You are free to be the person God has created you to be. You don't have to be a slave anymore. If you're already free, here's my exhortation, my Easter exhortation. Live into that freedom. Don't be a slave to fear anymore. Don't be afraid to whatever sin is chasing chasing you down, saying serve me or die. 
Don't be a slave to anything anymore. You are free to be. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And you, you are free to live a life where all capacities are firing on all cylinders. Right? Where you can live into the noblest purpose for your life. And you can love and you can serve. And you can worship. And you can be who God's made you to be. If you're not a Christian, I would love to talk to you after the service. Uh, as you walked in, there's a bulletin that you got, a little tariff tab is on there. And uh, you can put your name on there and your phone number or email address. I'd love to dialogue with you about what it means to be free, what it means to believe in the resurrection. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about that. You can talk to me afterwards. I'm going to be down front. But uh, for all of us, can we stand together and ask God to help us live into our freedom? Father, we thank you so much that today we celebrate the greatest liberation in all of human history. God, the Exodus story points to what you did for us in the resurrection. God, you set us free. You set us free from the things that, that keep us enslaved. God, human beings, our greatest problem is bondage, slavery, imprisonment. And God, we pray that this Easter, tomorrow, Monday, that you would fill us with your spirit. And God, I pray that you would enable us, Lord, to walk in your victory and Father, I pray that we would, to an increasing degree, experience the wonderful freedom of the children of God. We pray that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen.